Let's play a theme song, guys. Yeah, uh huh. You know what it Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dynamic Panel. My name is Joseph, and we got a great show for you today. Our guest is running for U.S. Congress, specifically the 11th District of California, representing San Francisco. Jeff Phillips is here. Jeffrey, thank you for being on the show. Hi there. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Jeffrey, you're running to represent San Francisco. Is that right? That's correct. So what, what connection do you feel with the city? Uh, how long have you been here and uh, what, what brought you to San Francisco? Well, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was uh, born out in Livermore. I moved to San Carlos, a suburb of San Francisco in uh, fourth grade. Uh, and I went to school down in uh, uh, Pasadena. I went to Caltech. Um, but I came back up because I missed the fog. And I, I've been here <laughs> basically my whole life. Uh, and I found an apartment on Craigslist about five years ago. Um, before that, I was living down with my parents, uh, taking care of them. They had some health problems and stuff. But uh, um, I love it. It's always a city I've been wanting to be in. And um, it's the world to me. So uh, what, what brought you here specifically? Was it like a career? Or did you like the culture of San Francisco? What specifically? I like the culture. I like the people. I like the weather. Um, it's just a fantastic place to be. Um, I, I tried LA and it was a bit too busy for me. Uh, traffic's crazy down there, although yeah. it's gotten worse here a little bit. But um, I, I just love the entire environment and um, the people are just always, always ready to try something new. And I, I love that. So you, 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 you just humble bragged a bit while you were giving your introduction. You, you went to Caltech, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, there are some fantastic people there. I met some like genuine rocket scientists, some geniuses there. I, I am not a genius myself, okay. um, but that was a humbling experience. And I, I learned a whole lot and it gave me a huge uh, head start. I had a wonderful core program that took me through all the basic sciences. Um, so I would say in relation to Congress, I probably know more about general sciences than a lot of congressmen, uh, Congress members. And uh I think that's so critical in our in our modern world, uh, not only for technology development, but we've seen in the pandemic that basic scientific literacy, being able to sit down and read scientific papers is is so important to actually legislating policy. And if we don't make the right calls in things like a pandemic, people die. And we saw that I, because we bailed out big businesses instead of allowing people to stay home and giving them actual stimulus to stay home for months at a time. We, we sacrificed maybe 500,000 of the million lives we've lost. So, so you're saying that like a, a lot of congressmen may not be very familiar with the science, science behind this, uh, the, the pandemic that went over the last couple of years? Not as much. There's a reason legislative summaries exist. It's because most people don't delve into that and they don't feel comfortable with the numbers. And uh, it's so just so important. What, to have what percentage? Background. Okay, so uh, here's a fun question. Oh. If you, let's say you get into Congress, what percentage of people in Congress would you say you're smarter than right off the bat? <laughs> well, I'm not going to make a call like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many went to Caltech, but um, I, I think you'd be in the top 5% right off the bat, right? I, I'm not even going to say, but <laughs> okay. I'll tell you, there's a lot of Congress people I still look up to. And um, I am in awe of what the squad's been able to do with their small numbers. And I'm trying to add to it. And uh, I'd be taking their lead. I'm looking up to a lot of people in Congress. Great. So uh, what, what did you study in Caltech specifically? Uh, I actually went with uh, business economics and management. I uh, came in thinking I was going to do math or physics or something, but um, you know, I wanted to get a little bit more practical. And uh, for a while, I was actually exploring a consulting career. But uh, I graduated right at the tail beginning of the Great Recession, and um, finance jobs were drying up pretty quick. Um, so I spent several years just sort of out of work, uh, doing odd jobs. Mm -hmm. And that's how I finally fell into gig work, because um, they'll, they'll take basically anyone with a car. Yeah, so you graduated in, I'm assuming, right when the crash happened? 
yeah okay mm-hmm. so yeah that's a terrible time to graduate obviously but uh you you moved to san francisco five years ago um did you, did you have a job lined up because this, this is the most expensive city or maybe the second most expensive city in, in, the, in the country so how did, how did you survive in san francisco i was just an uber driver so um i enough. had to find a really cheap place on craigslist it's rent controlled which mm-hmm. i think we need to expand rent control because um people that aren't under the system uh, anything built after 1979 is the rents can fluctuate insanely and it's not so much the the base price it's it's the fluctuation it's not being able to predict what your rent's going to be a year two years three years ahead um that really kills people and drives them out of their homes yeah sure and uh so i guess we can go into uh why you're running so like i i got my ballot in uh, last week and so did many other californians and I, I always found it a little bit annoying, like how the ballots only have your party preference and and your uh, your job, because you don't really know that much from a person from those two facts. What I always thought would be interesting if, if the, the ballot actually just had your three most important issues and that, that way the voter knows exactly what you stand for. So um, I guess like if I have to ask you, like, what would you rank number one? What's like what's the number one thing you want to accomplish if you were to make it to Congress? Number one is absolutely Medicare for all. Medicare for and, all. And uh, I have some personal experience with the health system. Uh, being a gig worker, I've been stuck mm-hmm. in Medicaid or um, uh, what we call uh, Medi-Cal here in California for a number of years. And I'm in a place where I'd be worried to make more money because I'd, I'd have to pay my own insurance through Obamacare, and um, it, it might actually put me in a worse place than being poorer. And I think a lot of people are stuck in that poverty trap. We need to bring Medicare to every single person and bring the cost down, we can cut costs by 50%. Uh, so that'd be my first issue. Um, second uh, issue. Uh, I, I let's, believe... exp- let's expand on that for a second. So sure. uh, you you said you're a gig worker. Uh, how does that really work for, for Medi- Medicaid right now or, or Obamacare, which you, which you probably use? So like you can't make a certain amount of money or you automatically lose all your Medicare? Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, that's basically issue. You make more, make more than uh, 15,000 a year. Um, after expenses, uh, you're out of the Medicaid system. Oh, wow. So like, what do you have to start paying once you make more than 15,000 a year? Uh, hundreds a month. So it, it, it quickly becomes larger than anything you actually oh, wow. made. Is, is uh, there any, that's is not there like, like a tax deductible or anything. Is, are there tiers to it? So like you make 15,000 to 30,000? Yes, it is. It is, yeah, it okay. is graded. So there is a, a, a subsidy, but Obamacare was never really meant to be the, the be all end all health system. It was a stopgap until we could get actual national health care. And the current incumbent has been running on it for about 12 years now. Like it's the best thing that ever happened to health care. And it's just not true anymore. Health care costs have gone up precipitously, even after the Affordable Care Act. And we need something better. So you're saying like Obamacare really only helped people that like made less than $15,000? I mean, that was a huge win because before that, I didn't have any health insurance. Yeah, that's fair enough. And that, that was actually, that prevented me from even considering gig work because if I got in a car accident, I'd be screwed. Uh, so at least this way I had health insurance. I was able to try and find a job at the lowest level. Um, but, you know, it, it's not a solution for most people and it's uh, certainly not the way our, our country should be going. But you're literally like, as a gig worker, you're literally trying to figure out what the right amount of money to make because you'll end up spending, let's say, 150 a month on health That's insurance. That's right. If you make That's right. And a lot of people are in that situation. There are people at Walmart that have, that have the same situation, not only for health care, but also for, uh, for food stamps, um, where they, they have to worry about how much they make. They have to worry about their hours. They have to basically manage their, their finances to stay below the line where they can still survive. Because we do provide fairly well, at least well enough for survival for our poorest, but we're really leaving a huge chunk of the middle working class out of our policy decisions. So, uh, I, I mean, obviously, the, the easiest solution would just be a Medicare for all, make it simple, like, don't have to worry about your income, and then you all get the same health insurance. But what's a realistic path to passing that? Because there's so much control over the healthcare lobby with, with our lawmakers. So what, what would you do in Congress to, to alleviate that? Well, I think we need to get tough. I mean, this is uh, would one you of the post first... a list of all your your Democratic colleagues that are taking money from uh, from uh, lobbyists or something. It is astounding. And we've run into that um, even in California recently. Uh, CalCare was supposed to be a Medicare for all for just for California. Yeah. And that it got, was pulled uh, that, on that the that last day. Voted. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
that was really sad to see. Um, a lot of people have been pulling for that. Uh, the nurses fought like hell for it. Um, they they did called more than anyone, I think. And uh, you know, people that really work in the health industry understand how critical it is to get care, regardless of what you take home. Uh, it's health is something that we don't choose. It's something that's chosen for us by the world, by nature, and we, uh, you know, no one chooses when they get sick. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so like, uh, what, what can, like, let's say, like, what can Congress do right now to actually make that a reality? Is it just like, uh, elect more, uh, representatives that aren't controlled by lobbyists or like, what, what would you say is an, a realistic path to America getting health, healthcare for all, Medicare for all? Well, we need a, a bigger majority of progressives. We need enough people in there that can actually put our foot down and say, Hey, this is critical to the nation. We need to make a case for it, and we need to start withholding other things. Uh, it, it boggles my mind recently with the abortion debate, how uh, Joe Manchin was able to stall the entire um, uh, women's rights issue just by, um, you know, voting with the Republicans. You know, he gets so much in coal subsidies alone, and it boggles my mind that we can't just stop that, cut him off and say, sorry, you're not getting your coal money unless you actually, you know, vote for the people at least a little bit well would you say like an issue is that there's just isn't that many choices for people like you're either either going blue or red and uh you, you gotta live with it and if joe Manchin's one of your options you don't want to go red so you just gotta go with him right choice is so critical and that's why i'm running uh we need more people running from all levels of society and all levels of office uh to to give people a real choice and a real policy alternative to the status quo. And that's what we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, up until a couple years ago, we couldn't even vote for two Democrats in, in, yeah. in the general election. That's a big and deal. That, yeah. Mm -hmm. The open primary system has really changed things. And it's only in the last few years that that's even been possible. So uh, that's why I'm here to give people a choice to get to, to allow people to actually vote for the things that help regular people like you and me. All right, let's go to number two. What's number two on, on Jeff, Jeff Phillips' uh, list on things you got to change? Well, I'm a huge supporter of a Green New Deal. I believe we need to invest in our infrastructure and invest in clean energy to, to bring our country forward to the next, uh, next level of technology. And that includes uh, high-speed rail that's electrified. That includes solar, wind, battery storage. Um, and also, I'd like to see some next-generation nuclear. Um, yeah. The current plants we have are fairly inefficient as far as how they process uranium, but there are new reactor designs that are actually going to be a 10 or a hundred times more efficient. And I'd like to see some of those come online and they will be in the next couple of years. And that's what we should be going towards. So uh, why, why do you think people are, would be even against the, the green new deal? It, it just sounds so perfect in every way. Right. But there, there are politicians that are against it. There are voters that get scared off by the, the term green new deal is it because uh, maybe people just don't trust the government spending their money or like, what, what would you get to, what would you do to have people have more confidence in the green deal? Well, we need to actually explain what it's going to fund and be specific with the projects that it's going to um, enact. I mean, people, you're right. They don't always trust the government because the government doesn't always do the best things with their money. But I, I think there's another component that a lot of legislatures lead people to that conclusion because they're themselves funded by, oil and gas infrastructure, coal, as we said with Joe Manchin. Uh, right. There's a lot of legacy systems that people just don't want to move away from. And there's also jobs that depend on those. Um, there, there's people that work in the oil fields, that work in the coal plants, that actually make very good money. Um, and we need to assure those people they'll have a just transition to other lines of work, that we can actually get them building solar panels for the same kind of wages that they're, uh, that they're working the oil fields with. And that's why tied to this, I'd also like to raise wages across the board. Um, if I could insert another thing in there, I, I think it's crazy that uh, prices have gone up so much. Inflation has been crazy this year, and yet wages haven't gone up at all. I mean, the, the, the minimum wage in West Virginia is still seven something an hour. And that's just not something you can live on anymore, especially with prices what they are. You know, Amazon doesn't change their prices for West Virginia. So and it's not a competitive advantage. People doing work anywhere in the country, it's all the same work. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that there, there, there are probably a lot of voters that are reluctant to, to vote on the Green New Deal because 
their their livelihoods depend on it they could be a coal miner they could you know they can drive a truck that's all on gasoline uh but is it really realistic to to believe that you can train like all of them to do a new profession because it's like I don't know, like if, if I had to give a number, I probably would say like only 10% of them would be willing to make that transition because you're so stuck to your ways when you're that age and you're stuck with your position or profession. So how would you uh, make sure they don't fall under the cracks? Hmm. That's an interesting question because I'm not sure they're really that resistant. I mean, people love to learn new things and people are willing to go with changes if it's in their interest, if, if they have... The, the educational subsidies, if they have um, vouchers to move to different areas of the country, if they actually understand their jobs waiting for them there and industries that welcome them, I think people will be open to it. Do you think, a, like if you had the ballpark, like what, what, what percentage would you think would be, would be open to it? Do you think it's like 90% of them? Yeah, yeah sure, I'll, I'll install coal, uh, solar panels or do you think it's probably less than, you know, less than 20%? Yeah, I don't. I don't really know if I could put a number on it, but I think most of them. I mean, uh, there's there's a huge um, can do it attitude in a lot of those industries. They're they're strong working people that like their jobs and like to bring home um, money for their families, and uh, that's something that doesn't change no matter if you're nailing panels onto a roof or uh, drilling for oil. Okay, so uh, so if you if you were to uh, you know create new new industries that that use green energy you would focus on recruiting people maybe doing these coal mining kind of jobs or jobs that might not be very great for the environment sure yeah i mean that's definitely part of part of a green new deal will have to be going out to the people that are doing the work and presenting them with what their options are showing them what else they can do and um not only educating, but, but getting them into those programs. That's, that's incredibly important. That's what, what the uh, just transition is about. So, so um, you're, you're obviously like more like, well, like you, you know more about the Green New Deal, but like, do you, do you predict an equal like one-to-one ratio of jobs for, for people doing jobs with their using green energy to the jobs that are going to be lost once we stop industries like coal and, and gasoline and stuff like that? Like, do, like, do you predict a similar amount of jobs for that are available for the Green New Deal uh, as the ones that might potentially get lost? I guess is a better way to frame the question. Think about it this way. How many jobs are created by creating the first transcontinental roadway, railway? That's what we need to do to this country. We need to build thousands and thousands of miles of high-speed rail track. We need to build wind farms all over the country. We need to be, build battery um, storage facilities. We need to build solar panels on almost every roof we have, including apartment buildings, which are mostly left out of a lot of green legislation right now. There's there's incentives for homes and there's incentives for businesses, but apartment buildings often get left out. And I'd like to see that change. So uh, I think there's a huge untapped um, reservoir of jobs that we could we could uh, we could open up by funding a Green New Deal and transitioning people away from. Uh, jobs that ultimately actually take away from us because mm. it, as we invest in these fossil fuels, we're destroying our planet. We're destroying forests. We're, we're raising sea levels. We're, we're taking away a lot of people's lives and uh, we need to reverse that. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely for, you know, m- making the world more green. And I, I feel like we, we pollute the, the, the atmosphere all the time, gasoline, coal, terrible for the environment. It's just like, I got to think about this from the perspective of a voter. And like, mm-hmm. if my whole life is based on this industry, it's, it's hard for me to, to, to like give that up. And like, I know there's going to be a bunch of new jobs for the green new deal. And I support that, but I feel like, like if realistically, that's going to be for like newer graduates that are willing to learn these new skills, but, you, but you feel confident that like someone that is maybe a, a coal miner for the last 30 years would be, willing to to transition to, to these kind of jobs is, is that something you feel confident about i really do i mean i believe that in a lot of ways the more experienced workers are a lot more competent competent than the people coming just out of school i mean they they have the benefit of decades of experience in an industry that doesn't doesn't suffer mistakes well i mean there's a lot that can go wrong in oil drilling that can literally kill people and we can definitely take that kind of experience, that kind of poise and put those people to work in jobs that help us all. 
And I am confident that we can provide more than enough jobs. And with Medicare for all, we can also provide them the security to, to not have to worry about their health benefits going away when they lose their job, to not worry about their health benefits going away when they go back to school. We need to provide a cushion for people so that their job is not the only thing that ties them to a decent life. Yeah, to survive. And that's why I think it's also important to invest in um, affordable public housing, which is my uh, third, I guess, bullet point. You're, you're um, going to use need... number three on that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, let's do it. Number three is, what was that again? Affordable public housing. We need to invest um, in public housing for regular people not just lowest income, but regular middle-class people. Um, and we need to build it at such a scale and at such a price point that it actually affects the housing market and brings the average price down. The only way to bring an average price down is by shooting below the average. And that's what a lot of, um, there's a lot of controversy in, in San Francisco between um, the Yimbies, the Yes in My Backyard people, and the uh, stalwart progressives who are sort of against development because it seems to only bring higher prices. And the key here is that we need to build in our backyards at prices that are lower than the average. And that's what's missing for a lot of people's uh, uh, equation. So yeah, that is a big issue in San Francisco. There's very limited housing, um, but building affordable housing in San Francisco will, I, I mean, like at, at most, I see some of these buildings have like 200 units or so and, that really only helps 200 families, right? Like if you were a congressman, would you focus on building in cheaper areas and then maybe asking people if they would prefer to, to live in a cheaper area? Because like, if you want to build in San Francisco, there's, there's only so much land and you can only help people that basically win a housing lottery. Like, what do you think? Well, I don't think lotteries is really the correct way to do it. We need to, um, we need to understand that San Francisco is actually only about 900,000 people. It's it's a it's a smaller city than you think. I mean, the Bay Area itself is about five million people, and all the um, suburbs around. So we actually need to build housing not only in San Francisco but all around the area and all around the country. Right now, we we've disinvested in housing in a lot of places, and we we've we've completely privatized the industry so that that the, the only housing that's getting built is it built in the highest growth areas at the yeah. highest dollar value, and that's been a decades long process that's really priced regular people out of what what used to be considered the starter home my, my grandfather got back from the war and was able to buy a house for tens of thousands of dollars and that's just not available anymore um so, so either you, the the price yeah. or the scale of the house like they just don't build houses that small anymore mm -hmm. so you you see the issues with san francisco and you, you see that there's homelessness and and drug addiction would, would you say like the like if you were to invest in building homes in like in cities around the world or, or towns around the world or, or around the country, maybe those people would have the support at the beginning, right? Instead of having to, to move to a city uh, and just live on the streets. That is a huge issue too. I mean, we, we take in a lot of people from all over the country and um, we're glad to do it. But at the same time, those people really should be served in their own areas just as well. And we've created a system where there are certain areas of the country um, that, that actually push people out like that, that try and send them to other places just to get rid of them. And mm -hmm. we do need to be building housing there as well. And not just affordable housing, but, um, you know, public below income housing that's um, specifically tailored to people that can't afford any housing. I mean, it is unconscionable to me that in the greatest country, in the richest country in the world, that we can't house everyone. We have the resources, we have, we certainly spend enough on guns and tanks and bombs. We should be able to house all of our people. So would you say uh, investing in, you know, the more rural parts of, of the country, the, the, the smaller cities would actually improve the, the bigger cities where, where homeless people tend to, to head towards because- Absolutely. Uh, and I'm running for San Francisco, but I'm running to help the entire country. That's why I'm talking about minimum wage raises across the country. That's why I'm talking about building across the country and the Green New Deal. All of this helps our entire nation. And it's only with a national plan that we can really get this off the ground. That's, that's why I'm st jumping straight to, to United States Congress. 
yep. a lot of politicians, uh, they, they hop from local office to local office. They become the supervisor. They go on the school board. Then they try and get an assembly. Then they get in the state Senate. Then they try and tackle national office. But I say that national office is where we need the changes. And we need them now. We need them from new people that aren't tied to the old ways, that don't owe favors all over town, that aren't already bought and paid for by lobbyists and corporations. We need new people in national office because it's a national strategy that we need to adopt. Yeah, so you're saying like the issues in San Francisco, and there's quite a few, but it's, it's more of a national issue. It's like it's, it's something that like San Francisco can't solve by itself, and that's why you you want to run for Congress to get federal funding to help other communities that would eventually, in the long term, help San Francisco, Los Angeles, other big cities, right? Absolutely, lifting up the country everywhere helps San Francisco most of all. So I don't want you to badmouth your opponent or anything, but has uh, has Pelosi ever done anything like this? Because uh, I'm, I'm not too familiar with any any work that she's done to, to help San Francisco like this. Uh, she definitely brings home the bacon. She uh, she has her projects and she has uh, plenty of people that talk talk well about the things she's done for the city. And to be fair, I mean, she's been in office for 34 years. So everything good and bad that's gone through Congress has her stamp on it. And it's hard to argue against that as a, as a, a newcomer, but uh, I believe that we need more aggressive solutions. We need more progressive solutions. We need solutions that really deal with the system holistically and uh, work throughout the country to build a better tomorrow. And uh, we can't always do that with the strategy of yesterday. Got it. So how did you develop your, your platform personally? Is, is it through your own experiences? Is it through people that you talk to, people that you read? Uh, what, I was looking through your website. You have plenty of, uh, of, of uh, issues or platforms that you, you're running on. So how, what inspired you there? It's my whole life. Um, you know, I, I've been a very quiet person politically until recently uh, because, you know, at some point I'm sort of still holding out for a job. It would be nice to, you know, be something more than a gig worker. And so okay. I've been very hesitant to step into politics. But now I'm at a point where, Startups don't really hire people my age and older. Uh, there's a, a lot of ageism in the city. So I've reached a point where I can actually speak my mind and I don't care so much what people think. And so I'm bringing the things, the ideas that I developed through years of reading about politics, years of uh, watching our favorite um, political shows, including comedy shows, which I think show a lot more of the real truth of politics than, uh, than a lot of straight news programs do. Um, and you know, I, a lot of the, not, nothing I have on my platform is really that revolutionary. We've all heard these ideas before. Um, Green New Deal, I didn't come up with it. Medicare for all, I didn't come up with that. But I support them. And what we need is the numbers in Congress to make them real. So, uh, you, I mean, these are great ideas, but you think the only way we, we pass it is if uh, we get more progressives in the, in the uh, Congress. Is that, is that what you're arguing? Definitely. And, you're, and, you're, and you're saying like Pelosi might not be really a progressive at this point. She's been blocking Medicare for all for years. Um, she won't even bring it to a vote. And Do you have any theories the same on with the Green why? New Deal? Because she owes the healthcare lobby. Okay. She uh, she stands by Medicare for all. Hot take. A, a lot of people. A lot of people um, forget that she campaigned for a public option during Obamacare. And then when the Senate finally capitulated and said, okay, we'll put in a public option, she turned completely about face and said, no, no, we can't have a public option in there. That's just not going to pass and took it out in November right before they, they voted on it. Um, so she's been against a larger healthcare push for basically her entire tenure. And um, we need a different type of leadership on that. So uh, would you do anything about that if, if you were in Congress? Uh, would, you, would you make term limits or something or some kind of rule where you can't talk to a lobbyist, which I don't even know how that would work, but like, what would you do to, in Congress to make sure things like this, where our representatives are not looking out for their constituents? Is, is I've been asked about term limits before. And, um, you know, honestly, I don't want to spend my whole life in Congress. I certainly don't want to spend 34 years. I think several terms would be more than enough. Um, but I, I'm, I'm hesitant to sign on to any pledge of, absolute term limits because i see them weaponized by especially republicans uh to try and take down long-term congressmen that are doing well um but for myself i don't want to serve forever and i don't think anyone should serve forever we need new people in office and people that aren't enmeshed in the politics of washington and aren't 
bought and paid for by lobbyists. As for lobbying, I, I think we should ban um, former Congress people from becoming lobbyists. I, I think that's a huge revolving door that's been going on forever. Um, we see that in news programs too. People that leave public office then go on and get paid hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars to comment on the current crop of politicians. And uh, it's just not a good system at all. Um, I'd also like to ban, um, there's a lot of insider trading in Congress and not just with stocks. Stocks get a lot of the focus, but Nancy Pelosi actually owns a restaurant in uh, Marin. Not a lot of people know that. Ooh, she owns real estate, real estate all over town, which I, I got to say has to influence her takes on building public affordable housing um, if she's already in the real estate game. And she's not alone. There's plenty of people in office that have those kind of investments and make millions outside of the regular legislative salary. Would you just uh, give Congress members more money and just say like, hey, we're going to pay you a really good wage, but you can't do anything shady. You think that's Well, you know, right now a Congress member makes 174000 a year. And I think that's plenty. You think that's plenty? But like, uh, so I would say as a congressman, you're, you're probably one of the most hated people in the country. And maybe some of these people that are, are in Congress right now feel like, oh, I deserve, you know, this little kickback because I get so much hate in the world uh, from Twitter or whatever. And uh, I, I deserve this, you know, like you, you think mm. some of that plays into maybe it. Maybe that's part of it. I, I think it's more that they think they're so smart. That okay. they really, they really come to a place where they yeah. believe that they know so much more than everyone else that they just deserve those kind of consulting fees, those kind of speaking fees, those kind of, uh, you know, um, they deserve to be consulted, and it, it doesn't. They don't bat an eye when they got bright bring in for half a million dollars. I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of like, hey, you get a million dollar salary, but no lobbyists, and you, if, if we find out that you take any money, you you go to jail. Something maybe maybe not that extreme, but something like that. Well, that's probably not a bill I would endorse, but uh, <laughs> right. uh, that's an interesting idea. No problem. Uh, okay, let's go into uh, what do you think about the political polarization happening in the country right now? Like, there's there's so much anger between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, how would you alleviate that? Well, I mean, we have to talk to people. We have to talk to people from all sides. We have to understand why they feel the way they do and how they've been led to feel that way. Uh, I, a lot of it comes from the right and extremism there, but there's also extremists on the left. There's a lot of everything has become uh, what I'd say for a better lack of a word is a, a religious issue. You know, we are absolutists on so many things that even one stray um, opinion point on a single issue can, can destroy a politician's life, can destroy a commentator's life. You know, people get canceled all the time because they, uh, uh, people want to believe that the people that represent them represent them on every single issue. And that's just not a realistic expectation to have. I, uh, I wouldn't say I'm an extremist on anything. I'm open to reason. I'm open to seeing things from many different sides. And I try to avoid um, taking absolute positions on anything. Do you, uh, do you think people are just too black and white about things? They, they don't say percentages enough, like, like a lot of Democrats are like, oh, all Republicans are racist. But like in reality, they should just say maybe 20% of them are racist. I don't know. You think yeah. people should be less black and white about things? Some Republicans are racist. Some, some Democrats are racist too. I mean, racism is a huge and divisive issue in our nation's history, and it hasn't gone away. It's institutionalized, and it's, it's probably going to be with us for a long time. But what we need to do is to move beyond those things and look for the people that aren't racist and that are willing to treat every single person as an individual person. And that's what I try and do every single day. Are you, are you for uh, more representation? I think we, we touched about on this before. Are, are you open to more, more parties or like, like maybe rank choice voting? Like, so like people don't have to choose. I would love to see more parties. I think rank choice voting is an important part of it. Uh, we actually have rank choice voting for local elections in San Francisco already. And it's mm -hmm. been fantastic. Um, but we need to see that in national elections. And we also, I would like to see um, a system of proportional representation, mixed member proportional representation, uh, especially in the Senate. I think if we could add like 20 more senators and have them drawn from the first choice parties of all those ranked choice votings, um, that would do a lot to, uh, to make the, 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 the Senate more representative of um, 
everyday people because the fact that we have not a single green person green party person um in office is kind of astonishing to me uh because there's certainly there's a base for that um democratic socialists don't get into national office and i think that's a problem those, those and, guys should probably rebrand though that's not a great name <laughs> who the democratic socialist yeah i think, no, I, think I think they're all right all right you think that that name i mean i yeah i, I like their platform i think it's fine like... i am proud to call myself a socialist <laughs> i have right. no problem with it i am not a communist but i am a socialist okay um and so is are there any countries that you you look to as inspiration as like i like their political system do you like like uh, ireland australia or something like that ireland has a great political system uh Australia, I'm not so hot on them. They've okay. they've certainly um, gone more conservative in the last couple of years. I, or you I, just I'm like the big, way they vote? Like I'm any... a big fan of uh, European social democracies. That's why I'm not I'm not afraid to call myself a democratic socialist. I mean, they have done wonderful things for their people. They all have national health care. They have benefits. They have month, weeks and months of vacation every year, and that's something we should move towards. And okay. that, that comes directly from having those coalition governments with multiple parties. Yeah, with more people, like just representing more voices, because right now it's like two pretty crazy voices instead of, uh, you know, voices of normal people. It's easy for two voices <laughs> to become one voice. Or and like it's easy on for lot of one of the two voices to get crazy. <laughs> because uh, like, what are you going to do? Not vote for me? But yeah. It does uh, become an ultimatum and it's, it's not a good way to do politics. All right, Jeffrey. So uh Let's get into like what, what do you think? Like, how would you rate Pelosi's job of as a representative for for San Francisco right now? Like, you're running against her. Do you have uh, criticisms of her? Would you give her a solid C minus? Like, what do you think? Sure, I think that's a fair rating. I mean, <laughs> okay. she's certainly done good things, but as I said, she's um, responsible for all the bad things. She also passed all the Trump budgets. She funded the military um, year after year after year. Um, she's blocked healthcare. She's blocked a green new deal. She's, she tore apart the, uh, the Biden stimulus that was supposed to actually fund things like solar power and high-speed rail. And she, she said that we'd pass both parts, but she just passed her part. And I think that's unconscionable. So that's something that like people don't really talk about. Like how does she ex exactly do that? Like, and we, we talk about Biden trying to pass this thing and she's just like adding too many weird clauses to it like what's she doing to stop these things well she's the speaker of the house so she controls what can come to the floor and what can't and um that's extremely powerful um that's why it's so important to maintain the majority in the house um as well as the senate and if i had to choose the next speaker of the house i'd vote for pramila jayapal she's the one who wrote the medicare for all bill and uh, she's certainly been a strong leader of the progressive cause and i'd love to see her in power there okay so let's let's get into the election that you're in right now can you explain how california congress rep uh, representation elections uh, uh are situated so like what do you have to do to win this election well um there's a primary in the next month uh, yeah so what is the primary like, like how does that work so it's an open primary system in california so that means that all of us in all the offices are running for um, the top two positions. Uh, so it's probably definitely going to be Speaker Pelosi. And then I'm hoping I'll be second. Yeah. So uh, do you have any innovative campaign strategies that you're going to use to try to finish second? So yeah, obviously Pelosi is going to finish number one, but you got some competition. Uh, Batar, he was the, the guy running against Pelosi last time. Uh, so like, what are you going to do to, to, to make yourself stand out a bit? Well, I'm trying to run the most straightforward and uh, ethical campaign I can. Um, as, I, as I said earlier, while we were talking about Zoom, I'm trying not to spend a lot of money. I, I don't believe that money is the way to fight a multi, multi, multi millionaire. I think we have to do it through people power. And I'm trying to use all the free, free resources at my disposal. I'm trying to get my message out through organic word of mouth. And I think it's important to note that while um, Shahid Buttar was the top two candidate last time, he only got about 20, 23, 22% of the vote. And that's just not enough. And I, I don't think that he's going to make it this time either if he's in second place. And I hope people realize that, that they can actually choose someone different. Yeah. That's not a lawyer. That's not a career politician that hasn't been doing this and 
failing for uh, for several years, it's uh, it's important for people to have new options. And yeah, uh, you're, you're saying that's like what you, I'm so, someone that's more like representative of, of the people, right? I believe so. I, I think he's a bit too extreme, and I I'm trying to run as just a regular old progressive. I I'm looking for a better deal for regular people. What's the, what's an extreme thing that that he stands for? Um. You know, extreme probably isn't the right word. He's just um, he's he's based a lot of his current campaign on not being able to get in last time. He ha- holds a lot of grudges against political clubs. He uh, has sort of run on the past more than the future. And I think it's important to focus on the future and let people know that no matter what they say, I know they're not going to like me in office because even people like AOC, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, has been criticized by the left for not being left enough, for not being, uh, for not being exactly what they want at every moment in time. And I know I'm going to get that. So I want people to know that I still love them all, no matter what they say about me. And that's, I think, an important thing for a politician to be, is to be able to represent every single person in San Francisco. And that's what I'm aiming to do. That's the most level-headed thing I've ever heard a, a politician say. And uh, well, thank maybe, you. maybe that's why you're not, <laughs> maybe that's why you're going to have so much uh, uh, fight against you. But uh, so B- Batar ran in 2020. Um, how many votes did he get in the primary? Because that's probably what you're trying to aim for right now, right? Uh, I was in the tens of thousands. Okay. And then he maybe got a little bit more in the general, but there's a higher turnout for the general election. Mm-hmm. I don't have the, the specific numbers. I think more in percentages. Okay. So let's say Jeffrey Phillips needs 11,000 votes to be in the final two to go against Pelosi in November. What are you doing to, to get that 11,000 votes? Are you, are you targeting colleges, young people? Or are you going to like specific San Francisco venues? Like, what are you doing? I'm doing something uh, really kind of scary and unorthodox in that I'm just going to trust the people to make the right decision. I've reached out to a lot of political clubs. So people that are inside politics and really come in for that day after day, they know about me. Um, I did all my signature gathering myself. So I went out and talked to regular citizens and, and explained my policy policy uh, positions. Um, but I'm really kind of relying on my ballot statement. I'm relying on my website. I'm relying on my Twitter to get the word out as best I can and hope the people make the right choice. So and where are you gathering? Really see how are you going to like, uh, like Dolores Park? Like where are you just going? Uh, because it was at the height of the last COVID wave in January and February. Um, yeah, it was mostly outside. I went to Dolores Park. I went out to uh, San Francisco State. I went to parks all over the city, uh, to Bose Triangle, uh, areas that are known to be sort of progressive where people go out and just hang sort of hang out in parks. And I try and be really um, non-confrontational. I ask people if they have some time first. And if, if they say no, I just move on. Uh, I, I am trying to not do what every other politician does, which is spam people with mail, spam people on the phone, spam people in their inboxes. I don't think that actually works that well. I've never gotten a a, a mailer in in my mailbox and that's actually changed my mind. It's just a waste of paper. Yeah, I I get a lot of emails from Pelosi and yeah, I ignore them. I'm sure you do. I've I've seen people get texts from Pelosi and like weird fonts and stuff. And I don't think it actually works that well. I think that that's something that consultants who make millions of dollars on off every campaign and Shahid Buttar has spent a lot of money on consultants as well as accountants and uh, various people. I don't think it actually really adds up to that much. I think it's something that we've conditioned ourselves as people in politics to expect and to spend money on, but I don't actually think it's that worthwhile. So I'm going to see what happens without it. And, um, you know, maybe in, in subsequent years, if I decide to run again, I'll do something different, but I want to see what works by approaching voters the way I'd like to be approached, which is basically don't approach me at all. <laughs> Let me make my own choices. So you, you're, you're basically relying on voters uh, Googling your name when you get the, the ballot, looking at, uh, at your, your platform and just hoping uh, for the best. Yeah, I'm an open book. If you want to find that information on me, I'm the first hit for Jeffrey Phillips on Google, which is uh, you know good to have. And you can check me out if you want to. And I hope people do. I, I think you got to think outside of the box. You want to win this thing, Jeffrey. I think you got to go like go on a hunger strike or something or tie yourself to a Pelosi's uh, mansion or something. You don't, you don't want to do anything like that? Maybe. You know, actually, there was a guy um, who's supporting Pelosi who went on a hunger strike last year to try and get a safe injection sites, which yeah, is, there you go. is probably a good, a good idea. But, you know, all it did was he, he hunger struck for about two days and they told him, all right, all right, we'll do something about it. And he stopped. 
and, and we still uh, don't have they a still haven't done it <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and new york beat us and hopefully hopefully you know we'll get it eventually but it's, it's still kind of like lame that san francisco is supposed to be the most progressive city you know in the world but we don't have it it's kind of uh, endemic in politics that we tell people what they want to hear mm-hmm. so that they stop protesting and then nothing actually gets done and you can definitely wait as a politician you can wait a lot longer than a protester can can protest for that's just the dynamics of it okay so jeffrey phillips needs to get you know eleven thousand votes and then he shows up in the uh the final two the general election yeah yep. and that's at that at that point we will have proven that pol- politics isn't all about money and i'll be able to actually um i think i'll get a lot more media attention i think i'll get a lot more support that's i how mean but, but will you Kazi... though because batar didn't get anything right? absolutely I will, because uh <laughs> okay. look at look at uh, alexandria ocasio-cortez after she won the primary it was an entire different ball game she was nothing on the media's radar until mm-hmm. she actually went up against um who was a very strong and very uh, entrenched uh democratic establishment candidate and that's i think what's what's needed you, you have to show the people that there's a possibility to win and then they will come to you and that's what i'm trying to do right now so after june it's gonna be a whole different game and we can have this conversation again yeah and then you i mean like people obviously have to talk to you but I'm I'm a little concerned because like last time Batar finished in the last two two uh, two spots and I don't think the media gave him any coverage. Maybe because that's just how powerful Pelosi is; she can just like make people ignore him or something because he controls the media or something. Maybe so, but I think I can get the word out better with. Uh, I'll I'll be building a better bigger team. I'll be uh, raising some more money, and uh, I might do some advertising at that point. We'll see. Um, but I definitely have some strategies going forward that'll be different than what I've been doing so far. Just a big billboard um, that says Google, Google my, my, my platform. <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe something like that. I don't know. As simple as that. My platform is better than Pelosi or, or something like that. Yeah. So uh, what, what do you hope to accomplish with this campaign? Let's, let's say you don't win, but you, you, you had a good fight. Uh, do you, you think you put this on your resume or you, you might run again in the future? Like, what do you hope to accomplish? I wouldn't leave out the possibility of running again, but to be honest, I'm just going to go back to my life. I'm just a regular guy. And uh, that's one of the things that makes me so powerful is that I'm not a career politician. I'm not in this to advance my career. I'm not looking to become a podcaster afterwards or anything. I, I'm just a guy. I'm trying to do good. And, um, you know, I'll just, just be a regular a guy, guy afterwards. You're just a guy that saw a problem and you want to do what you can to, to fix it. Yeah, exactly. Have you always had this mentality or is it something more recent as uh, as you see the country you know, falling apart a bit more? I think I've definitely mellowed with age. I think I was a little more radical as a, as a kid. Uh, but Are you going to protest and stuff? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, I've always kind of seen protests as something that gets a lot of headlines and is fun in the moment. But as we talked about with the, the hunger strike, politicians <laughs> just ignore them until they go yep. away. Um, you got to figure and, out something even more, uh, more attention grabbing than a, a hunger strike. You got you to think outside the box here. A, a lot of protests are more about the people involved than they are about the, uh, the policy goals that they actually achieve. Mm-hmm. And it is important to keep people uh, engaged and invested in the political struggle. But at the same time, we have to be realistic about the, the real accomplishments, the real ch- chance for change is in office. And that's why I'm running. Because only when we get people that are in office to make those changes, to actually make the laws different, um, that's where we really change the system. Okay, let's go to our final question. Let's say you are uh, controlling the country, like uh, like you're playing a game of The Sims, right? You have complete control of, of what the country looks like. In 10 years, what is your ideal vision of, let's go with San Francisco, the, uh, the district that you're, you're re- representing or you're trying to represent? and the country what's your ideal vision of san francisco in the country in 10 years well there'll be more housing for regular people at affordable prices and the city won't actually look that much different we could double the housing stock without really raising the skyline that much i mean san francisco is a very low lying city in most of the areas Mm -hmm. so just building out a little bit will allow people to come in to build lives for themselves to raise families I'd like to see more green infrastructure, solar panels on all the roofs. I'd like to see neighborhoods cordoned off so that they're actually all bike and transit friendly. Um, 
to have areas of the city that are that are sort of more bike centric and areas of the city that are more traditionally transportation car centric. Uh, I think that would be a great a great thing that a lot of people have been asking for for a long time. Uh, I think that the wages should be risen to a level where people can actually live off minimum wage or Honestly, I, I think a living wage is about double whatever the minimum wage is to be able to support at least two people off your salary. And that's something we haven't really seen in this country in at least a generation. Um, uh, did you say you want to make a living wage in, in San Francisco or, or, the, or the country? Both. I mean, I think San Francisco will continue to be um, slightly more expensive than other places in the country. So I, I think it. Yeah, I, I just imagine that for every, having, every city would, would be yeah. pretty expensive. But. I think it's, it's justified to have higher wages here than there are standard in the country, but I think the whole country needs to be raised up. Um, Cause you know, right now our minimum wage is about $15 an hour. And as I said, in West Virginia, it's still seven. So we're, we're already farther ahead there, but minimum wage in this, in this part of the country should really be about $23 an hour at this point, maybe 24 or 25 with inflation the last year. And nobody's talking about that in those numbers. And we need to actually raise that every year dynamically. We can't just keep passing bills after bills, a lot of politicians coast on the idea that they're just about to give you what you want. And that if you just vote them one more term, that they'll give it to you. I think we need to stop that. We need to have more bills that automatically adjust themselves based on the conditions and actually make a lot of politics uh, obsolete. We need to solve issues rather than just kicking the can down the road. So what would you like the country to be like in, in let's say, 2032? Like, what, what, what would you imagine like high-speed rails or you can get from one city to another just happier people less just political violence stuff like that what what would you like to see in the country 10 years well by that time the uh as you mentioned high-speed rail will be running all up and down the california coast we should also have lines running east and west china has built a massive network of high-speed rail in the past 10 years it's astonishing you can get to almost every city um via trains that go over 100 miles an hour we need to see that here we need to invest in sensible solutions that that benefit the most people rather than just the elites just the corporations we need to make life sustainable for regular americans so that millennials like you and me can actually raise families and that's what's missing from the equation right now well that sounds like a great plan uh so where can anyone connect to you jeffrey uh, you should check out my website, 11thjeff.com for the 11th district of San Francisco. I'm also available on Twitter and my DMs are open, 11th Jeff there. And um, yeah, those are the two main outlets. Um, check me out. And I also have a statement in the candidate uh, booklet. Um, please vote for me. <laughs> okay. As simple as that. He only needs 11,000 votes. It's definitely possible just to get to the top two. I think it's actually a couple more than that, but... uh. Okay. Yeah. He needs at least uh, 12,000. <laughs> Let's go with that. But uh, yeah, th- thank you for being on the, the show, Jeffrey. So uh, my name is Joseph, and thank you for listening to uh, Dynamic Panel. Really appreciate the time. Have a good night. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what it is. Everything we do, we do big. Yeah. Uh-huh. Screaming that time. When I start off the mic, that's something. my show when you hear it. Listen to the panel.